Welcome to another episode of Earl Tom's podcast. Today we're going to discuss the right ways and the wrong ways to approach a potential buyer. Um, one of the one of the main issues that that I've seen since I've been in this business, um, because I'm both a wholesaler and an investor. Um, as I've said before, I use the money for that I make wholesaling to buy properties to hold. So I understand from both perspectives. And, and a lot of times when people send me properties, they don't know if I'll actually buy it for myself or if I'll wholesale it. But what it, what it does, though, is it always keeps the prices consistent because what I'm willing to pay for it doesn't really change whether I'm wholesaling it or if you know if I'm if I'm buying it for myself as an investment, either to hold or flip. Um, so one thing that I always that I always do in my approach, whether I'm wholesaling or buying, is I always look at it as though I'm the one that is about to ask someone for their money. So what I always try to do is buy it in that way that is going to make their life a lot easier. And what that means is, is whether I'm wholesaling or, or buying myself to keep, <clears throat> you make money when you buy a property. You don't make money when you sell it. So if you don't buy it the right way, you're not going to make money because you're not going to be able to sell it. And that's what a lot of wholesalers struggle with. So that helps me as I go through the process, whether I'm wholesaling or buying, that you know, if I have an investor call me a day after I close it and say, hey, do you have anything that you can sell? You know, hey, I still have something that I can sell. I was planning on you know, holding it or flipping it, but I've got this in the inventory that I haven't done anything with yet. So can I sell it to them? So that's why my prices don't change whether I'm wholesaling or I'm actually buying. <clears throat> now, one thing that the majority of the, the wholesalers that are out there misunderstand is they don't control anything. There's, they, they have this, this idea that I have it under contract, so I control everything. That's actually not true. You're basically a beggar in the entire process. You're begging the seller to allow you to, you know, buy this, put it under contract. They're dependent on you to keep your word. And then when you look at it, as far as a buyer goes, you're basically a beggar on that as well, because you're begging a buyer to give you their money so that you can keep your word to the seller and let the seller get their money you also get paid in the process, but you're begging, for lack of a better word, in the entire process. You don't have any control over it whatsoever. The seller can back out of that contract, and there's not really a whole lot you can do. Because I've said it in countless episodes that if you don't have the means, the financial means, whether it's cash or financing to actually purchase that property, then you've basically broken a law and committed fraud because you didn't have the means to buy that property. So therefore you had no legitimate right 
to put that house under contract. So when you go and you try to cloud a title or something like that, if a seller ever wanted to challenge that, you could wind up in jail because you have committed real estate fraud. The The way that, that you kind of get through all of that is you understand your place in the process to be able to accommodate both sides. You're the mediator. That's really all you are. Let's, and, and, and what I try to get across to people is, is let's, let's think of a seller and a buyer as a husband and wife in a marriage. You're in the middle trying to make everyone happy so that it's over. You're not always going to make everyone 100% happy, but as long as, as they can live with, with what's there and come to an agreement, then it can be resolved and it can end. And when it ends is when you close and you get paid. So that's how you need to actually look at, at what's, what your role is in the process when you're wholesaling. You don't have any control. Most of us that are out there, I know I did it when I first got in. Like I said, if we don't have the means to, to actually purchase it, we're breaking the law. We're making misrepresentations of I'm a cash buyer, those kind of things. So you're you're walking on thin ice as it is. And a lot of a lot of wholesalers don't realize this. So when they get a property under contract and then they wonder why it doesn't get sold, it doesn't have anything to do with the investor. You get in you get frustrated with the investor because they they tell you, you know, hey, I need to do this, and you go, We can't do that. You messed up. It's your job to get it under contract for the right price and the right terms so that you can facilitate your buyer to be happy, welcome them to to actually close on that deal in a way that they're comfortable because at the end of the day, the people on both sides of it control whether or not you're going to make any money. So when you take this approach that says, I control everything. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're, you're not, you're not going to have a successful outcome the majority of the time. You might get lucky a couple of times and get some deals closed. But for the most part, the, the buyers, the investors are going to look at you as, as someone that is, that is difficult to work with and they're going to stop wasting their time with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, I've got an example of, of recently that I can basically give on this. Um, we already have two houses on the street. We bought from this wholesaler six, seven months ago. Um, I've blocked his communications because he is, com he is he's just so difficult to work with. He doesn't listen to anything. He knows everything. He tries to intimidate you and tell you exactly what's going to wind up happening. So my, my deal is you can't put a price tag on peace of mind. I just removed him from my life or tried to. The, the partner that I have in, in, these, in these properties are still getting his text blast even though he's unsubscribed from, you know, his email because he's an older guy. He doesn't know how to block on the phone. Um, 
but I have an idea after this deal he he will learn. So basically what happens is is he sends this these these three houses to my partner on, on the street and so the partner calls me and says, Hey, can we look at these? You know, I'd like to have five on the street if you know if possible. So I say, Okay. I reach out to the guy, I had to get his number from my partner because I've already taken it out of my phone, just like I said, removed him from my life, didn't want him anywhere near it. Um, so I, 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 kinda, I reach out to him, I say, you know, can we look at the houses? Okay, we can go look at the houses. So when we go down there to look at the houses, he's only got one house under contract. <clears throat> my partner is working with him on, you know, how much we're willing to pay for it under the assumption everything is in you know good condition two of the houses have tenants in them even though they're not really paying anything so they'll wind up getting getting removed so that we can have market rent on them one of the houses was was vacant so i looked at at one of the houses and just walked down the street to look at the other two in the front um so i tell him you know hey there's a tree in the yard so we're going to need to knock a thousand dollars off, you know, to take care of that, that tree. He doesn't like it. And I basically tell him, I do the real estate part of this partnership. He does the contracting part of this. And I know he's going to want a thousand dollars off for this tree. It happens every single time. Now, when you look at the cost of materials, that thousand dollars is going to be needed. So, he basically agrees to it while we're standing on the street. We get back and I call him because I'm just trying to be nice about it. And I say, which property do you want me to take the thousand dollars off? Because I know when you go for certain deals like this, you have one house under contract for less than you have another house. So he says, I didn't agree to that. And I just tell him, I'm sorry. This is what we agreed to. This is what we're going to pay for them based on right now with the inspections coming. What would, which one would you like the price to be reduced on? I guess he realized I wasn't going to back down off of it. And after constantly trying to argue with me, um, he finally agreed to it. Then I send him contracts through DocuSign and he tries to tell me, you know, hey, I'm going to sign them on Monday because I sent them Friday afternoon. I'll sign them on Monday. I'm going, okay, if this is another, you know, one of your childish acts, go right ahead. Um, so on Monday, he rolls around and says there's blank spaces on the contracts. I pull up the contracts that had been sent to him through DocuSign. There's no blank spaces anywhere in the contract. Everything was typed out. Um, so he says he prints it off and changes some of the things. And when, it, when he was in the process of this, just to avoid more headache with him, I went ahead and printed contracts and hand wrote every single area on the contract that needed to be filled in sent them back to him and he said there were still areas on the contract that were not filled in and i have copies of the contracts so i know he's telling the story that were handwritten um 
And what he winds up doing is changing a closing date on two of the three. And I'd put a closing date of July the 19th on there because it was a Monday. And we wrote the contracts June the 18th um, is when they were originally written. But it took until the 20s, you know, to actually get everything situated. Um, so he put on there July the 18th, which is a Sunday. We're not going to close on a Sunday, but in order to to just move him further out of my life, I went ahead and signed the contracts because a Friday to a Monday doesn't really bother me. Um, well, then we wind up, you know, signing other documents, things of that nature. Haven't had a single issue out of DocuSign. Didn't have one that day with other documents that were being sent out. It was only his. So <clears throat> in the contract, it basically says, I have 21 days to inspect. You need to grant access, things like that. Normal things that are in a contract. And what winds up happening is, is he's, I, I asked him, I say, are we good to go, you know, for a home inspection on this day and this time? Because um, it had already taken him a week to, to get these these times scheduled and we were the home inspector was about to have to push it back he had already pushed it back one time because he wasn't getting us access to it so I asked him if we were you know good to go for both houses on you know that this day and time and he sent a he sent a text back that basically asked do you need to see him and I said yeah um, I haven't been inside them and I don't buy anything unless I put my eyes on the inside of it. Um, and he said, well, that's not a good idea to have me and the home inspector show up. So I just replied back to him, buying it without not seeing it is not a good idea. And you know, I don't buy anything unless I actually physically inspect it. Well, he picks up the phone tries to, you know, basically over-talk me, intimidate me, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. And I basically just told him, I said, look, we, we've gone down this road too many times. We're the ones that, that have the money. We're not spending money unless it's on our terms. I can back out of this contract tomorrow because the sky, the color of the sky, if I want to, you can read it and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Or we can see the, the contract. Well, he decides he wants to tell ask me where I'm at because we need to talk. And I just told him, I said, look, buddy, when you calm down, you send me a text that tells me whether or not you want to proceed with these contracts and get these things inspected or if you want to cancel the contract because we're not buying them unless we see them. So he, instead of replying to me, he responds to my partner <clears throat> and my partner basically understands what he's doing. So we're going this morning because I told him, I said, look, he's not going to be there. He's sending his little partner out there. He's not going to be there. So why don't I just stay back and you go out there and you look at him with, you know, that way, you know, the people that are not getting along or not involved, you don't know his partner. He doesn't know you. Just see if the, see if the deal is there. And if it's not, it's not. Um, and he had, you know, he agreed to that. He was, um, cause we're both kind of rational people. Neither one of us get attached to, to deals, but this wholesaler, by the way he conducts himself, 
will never sell us another house because we've given him enough opportunities. This will be the fifth house if we get all three of them. This will be the fifth house we've, we've purchased from this guy. And every single time it has been a headache, he doesn't he doesn't understand or doesn't care how investors buy. I don't know many investors that will buy a house sight unseen. If they do, point in my direction because I can sit there and sell them many houses without giving them an, a, a report on what kind of condition it is and sell it to them for this price. Personally, I would never do that because I don't think that's ethical, but you know, there are wholesalers out there that do this. Um, so we're going, or it's going this morning to do the inspection. So around lunchtime, I don't know whether or not we're going to get the, uh, the three houses that are involved in this, but the, the moral of the story is don't go into a deal like you're the man because you're not. When you're wholesaling, and I do it myself, when I'm wholesaling, I am the beta. The buyer is the alpha every single time because it's their money I am trying to get. You're thinking of it with a, you go in and you try to buy a car. Anything that you're trying to do, you go in and that person is trying to appease you because they're trying to get your money. You look at a car salesman, they say $600 a month, and you go, I can only afford $550. How can we get down to this price? And you sit there because there's, there's, you have a limit. It's $550 is what you can pay. You can't get to $600. You may actually have to change and move to a different car, but $550 is all you can pay every month, and you know that. So it's the salesman's job that's sitting in there to go, okay, well, how can I structure this deal so that I can get them this car for $550 a month? Or are we just going to have to move to a different type of car to meet their payment? It's, it's not the salesman's job to sit there and say, oh, $550 is all you can pay? I don't care. Here, we're going to sign you up at $600 and you're going to walk in there and you're going to buy it and you're going to drive it off my lot. There is not a car salesman on this planet that would be in business more than a day doing that. It's just not possible. So when you're wholesaling, stop going into it as though you're the man, because you're not. I'm not when I wholesale. When I buy, I have a little bit more say in what I'm gonna do and the terms that I'm gonna agree to, but my process never changes because if I wholesale or I buy, I still put my eyes on it because I have to make a representation to a buyer of what kind of condition it is, whether or not, you know, it's a good deal for them, something, you know, those kind of things. If I'm buying it, I have to know what I've got to fix. If it's a good deal, that nothing changes about the process, but what changes is how I treat after I've looked at it. So if I'm buying it, then I know I'm going to just write the check for it. So I say, okay, here's the check. Tell me when it, when we're ready to close. Give me the HUD. We'll move forward. 
when I've got a buyer on the other side, that buyer says, okay, well, you've seen it. You've given me a lot of pictures. You know, I can get a good idea of what it is, but I still need to send, you know, myself or a contractor or whoever it may be out there to look at it. You have to make that available to them. If you think that's going to be an, an issue, then you take them when you originally look at it so that they you only are in there one time because if you're actually wholesaling the right way, you already have an idea of which buyer you're going to send this to and which one is going to actually purchase it from you. So you don't have to sit there and send it out on a mass list and this and that. Because if, if you buy it the right way and you treat your investors the right way, you're never even going to have a buyer's list. I've never used a buyer's list. Not a day in my life have I ever used a buyer's list because I know which houses are going to fit which investors. So when I put it under contract, it gets closed because I'm buying it the right way and I'm buying the, the houses that meet their criteria. So that's my job in the wholesaling process. It's providing them an easy path to invest. It's not, you're going to do what I say when I say it and how I say it. That's not how this business works. So when you are going through the, the whole process of it, you buy it the right way, you compromise on the terms for the, the seller, but you're also looking forward because when you're looking at a house, you should have an idea what buyer is going to be interested in it. So you're looking forward on that compromise that you're making with the seller and figuring out whether or not that's going to work for the buyer. So what you wind up having to do is kind of compromise a little bit more of the seller to say, hey, and, and tell them ahead of time, I'm going to need access to it. I'm going to bring, bring in an inspector, contractor over to, you know, to look at these things. So and. The way that I always do this is, is I say, so I can hit the ground running when we close. I don't have a wait time when I'm bringing the contractor out after I close. I don't get a surprise after I close. I can plan for it. And then by the time that we close, I'm ready to go. That's the way that you get through that with the seller so that when your buyer says, hey, I need to send my contractor or my inspector, it's already been discussed with the seller, makes the process easier, and then the buyer says, let's use this title company, and you say, okay, works for me, because it, it doesn't matter. If you, if you double close or you assign, whichever one it is, it doesn't matter, because you go in, you're providing a service. If you're dealing with those buyers that are more worried about what you're making, than what they're going to make, then I've said it many times before, you're not going to be selling them many houses anyway. So don't worry about it. Find the ones that are, that want everything to work for everyone and you'll be a lot happier. So if you're going in with the, like with your contract with the seller, you already have in there buyer to choose title and attorney. Okay. That's great. Cause now whoever you're selling it to is the actual buyer. Let them pick it. Let, the, let their 
life be as easy as possible and you will close more deals. If you take the approach of this guy, you're not gonna you're not gonna sell that that buyer many houses because they're gonna look at it and go, you know what? It's just too difficult to work with this guy. He doesn't listen. He tries to intimidate you. He sits there and gets on the phone and says, where are you at? We need to talk. Like he wants to come fight. And I don't know where you're from, but I have a large family. I have three sisters and a brother. This would not be my first rodeo. I'm not going to say I would sit there and win and I don't want to get into a pissing contest, but I can promise you, I am not going to be intimidated because I am the youngest of all of these siblings so I got my you-know-what kicked many a time growing up. But I try to be calm about it and say, when you calm down, you give me a, you give me a text that says, do you want to move forward or do you want to cancel the contracts? And hopefully they realize I'm acting like a five-year-old child. I need to calm myself down and I need to reanalyze what I'm doing and move forward so I can get these deals closed. Because people like like that, I mean, he's sitting there making, I mean, I if, if he struggles this way with, with selling houses, I can only imagine what he's got it under contract for. He may be making $2,500 a house. If he's making more of it, it would surprise me. I, I mean, he, he could very well, but it would surprise me. It's just, he's, he's not a very inviting kind of person. It's a, oh, we have a problem. Let me intimidate you now. Try to strong arm you into doing what I want you to do. Not realizing I don't have to buy this. And now he's two weeks into his contract. He just lost his whole bag because he's not going to find another buyer that goes over there and gets it closed by the time his contract expires. So it's going to make his life even more difficult having to come up with lies to tell the seller or oh, we're waiting on title or we're doing this or we're doing that. Instead of just saying, you know what? I got a buyer. I'm going to make money on it. Let's just make it easy. So what I want everyone to do when you're wholesaling is realize you're, you're the beggar on both sides of it. Do not in any ways act like you're more than a beggar on either side of it. Now, I'm not saying give away the house when you go and get it under contract or when you go to sell it. That's not what I'm saying as far as the beggar goes. But you don't have a legitimate legal right to be able to do any of it. Because an assumption is you probably don't have the actual financial means to be able to put that house under contract anyway. So if you push it, Eventually, you're going to find that homeowner that has an attorney friend and says, you know, hey, they showed up in a beat old old Camry and I can promise you they didn't have enough money to buy this in the first place. And then all of a sudden they're going to return, turn it over to the attorney general. The attorney general is going to look in, look into you. And then all of a sudden you're going to be drugged into court because you tried to intimidate somebody. You went at it hard instead of winning at it as the beggar. When you go in it as the beggar, you don't make enemies. You make friends. You make referrals. You provide a service that the seller and the buyer are happy with and they want to come back for more. That's the point I want to get across to everyone in this. You can make money 
but you want to make money long term, not one, two, three, four, five houses. There are certain clients out there I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars off of because of the way I treat them. There's clients out there that have given me an offer on something that I would have made forty or $50,000 on, and I said, you know what? That's too much. Give me this, and then we'll move on to the next house. And they appreciate that, and they come back. And then when you need an extra thousand, five thousand, ten thousand on a deal and it's and it's potentially there, you get it back because it's a working relationship where it's a give and take how a marriage works instead of going through a divorce because no one can agree on anything. One side's trying to strong arm the other side. So don't be the wholesaler that I've that I've described in this in this episode. Um, but with that I want to wish everyone luck. Prepare for what's coming. The market is about to get start getting flooded. I've, I've talked to many realtors, many bankers. It's it's coming. So keep an eye on it. Pay attention to what's going on on, on the ground. As I always tell everyone, the most successful wholesalers and the most successful people in real estate are the ones that are out there beating the pavement. Because you're talking to people, you're getting a feel for what's going on. You're not just sitting there waiting for the phone to ring and have no idea what's going on. So the business is about to pick up. Prices are going to start falling. Be prepared for it. Plan for it. Start looking at different financial and economic indicators so that you know where your market is. Um, and when this when this breaks open... You'll you'll make you'll make a good amount of money because you'll wind up having having people that need to sell the house a lot faster and are willing to <coughs> excuse me they're willing to work with you because they're in a more I'm not going to say desperate situation but a lot of times that's what it is but the time becomes crunched. They need a they need a, a decision, they need a resolution within 30, 60 days, or it impacts them for the rest of their life instead of what we've been going through for the last four years, that people are not as fast moving. They're they're oh yeah, we can sell it, we'll do it this, you know. So you're gonna get better prices, you're gonna have people that are ready to move a lot faster. But you need to prepare for it, need to plan for it um, to be successful when it happens. With that, we're going to draw this episode to a close. Hope you've enjoyed it. If uh, if you need some more help growing your business, run over to, uh, to earltoms.com. There's plenty of resources over there to, to kind of show you things that you can do to be able to put the foundation in for your business. Um, but again, that's earltimes.com. We will see you in a, in a couple of weeks with, a, with another episode. Thanks for listening.